0: Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Holidaysburg area or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. So, we've been talking through Galatians, and we haven't made it very. I mean, we're week four. I can't even remember the last time we were four weeks into something. We were still in chapter one. So, it feels like. We are digging into this, and uh, if you remember week one, that was sort of, well, there was the overview of the whole book, sort of gave some background on Galatians and time period and all that kind of stuff. So if you missed that, there's a podcast. There's also a notes, overview notes paperback there. Uh, then Graybill went through and talked about uh, the intro part where uh, Paul is really leaning heavily on uh, God as the authority of uh, what he's about to say and who he is, and then uh, last week Scott started out with like sort of the opening of the letter where Paul actually starts to address the Galatians and he's he's really starting to uncover some of the the stuff that's going on like why is he writing this letter and there's a little bit of false teaching but there's also some like people are just like sort of adding stuff into the gospel and uh, starting to believe that they need to do more than just what Jesus has accomplished. So uh, there's a little bit of that tension that's going on there. Um, And now we find ourselves uh, in the last part of chapter one, which is an interesting part because it's actually like a synopsis of Paul's testimony. So um, before we dive into that, I'm gonna do something untraditional, not traditional. And that is, go to another text first, which would be actually Paul's testimony in Acts. So, uh, in Acts, Luke actually records Paul's testimony. So, Acts 9 is where we're starting. So, if you have your Bibles, pull those out. We're going to dig in here. Now, Saul, uh, for those of you who are unaware, Saul is actually Paul. So, before he was converted, his name was actually Saul, so it starts here. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up. And go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind up all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. So this is like a, like a very dramatic, like conversion story. Um, you have this guy who was very much opposed to Jesus and his teachings. Like he would, so he's a religious guy. He's not somebody who just doesn't like religion or doesn't believe in God. He is, he's very religious. He is advanced in his scholarly academics. And he's doing his thing, walking along, and Jesus comes before him, and he falls down, and in the, in the seeing of who Jesus is, is transformed. So um, just a lot of really cool things in here, but I wanted to put that in front of you because the, the part in, in Galatians is much shorter, but I think that some of the details from that story will, will help you as we talk through Galatians. So now we're going to read our text. So flip over to Galatians 1. And we're starting in verse 11 today. For I would have known, would have you know, brother, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God had me set apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach to him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judah which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Wow. So you see how this transition of who he used to be to who he is. One was not a result of anything he did, but was a result of God and what God was doing in him. And then the result of that, like people can't believe who he is. Like, like they're trying to figure out what changed in this guy who is so far against Jesus, what happened to him to make him now preach what he was once against. Have you ever seen any of those YouTube videos where they take, like in the little snapshot picture that you click on, I'm a sucker for this, but um, they take like a stump of wood, like it's all naughty and ugly. And then like, there's a bowl on the other side of the picture and you're like, come on, how does that become that? So you click on the picture and then you see that transformation happen or there's one where they take a bolt and they turn it into a lock. Like it's ridiculous. Obviously it's in super fast forward because if you sat there through the amount of time that actually took, you'd lose interest. But, um, it's the same kind of picture of like, He used to be this naughty, ugly stump that probably most people would throw into the woods or try to burn. But God said, This is my vessel. I'm turning him into a bowl. I've got use for him. So, why do you think it is? Why do you just think about this a minute? Like, why does Paul's testimony matter? Like, in his argument, so we sort of already went through a little bit of like what he's getting at as far as things that are going on in Galatia, like why does he put his testimony here? Like what relevance does that have and why is that important? And I think there's a couple different reasons for that. Um, so Scott talked last week about how uh, there an emphasis on guarding the gospel and the message of the gospel and keeping that pure. So Paul's testimony is, is evidence of that. So what happened in him is not because of things he was doing. He was actually doing things that were dramatically opposed to what should have been saving him. And then he finished, I think one of the other big things why this is important is, is how, Um, Scott's section ended last week with verse 10 saying, For am I now seeking favor with men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So he sort of draws out that contrast of when I was pleasing men, I was doing all the things that men do and, and trying to build myself up and show how good my works were and trying to earn my way there. I'm a bond servant to Christ. I bring nothing. I am not able to save myself. This is not of my own power. So he's he's drawing out sort of that comparison. I think it's important to, to see how he presents his testimony here because You can present your testimony in a way that sort of draws light on yourself and makes makes yourself feel or look good. But the hero of the story is Jesus. He's the one that does the transformation. He is the one who paid the price. He is the one who is saving people. Which brings us to our main idea. Paul uses his testimony to illustrate how the grace of God through the gospel of God transforms the people of God for the glory of God. So God's in there multiple times because God's the main point. So yes, it's Paul's testimony, but he's saying it in a way that is showing who God is and what God is doing. So I'll say it again. Paul uses this testimony to illustrate how the grace of God through the gospel of God transforms the people of God for the glory of God. Okay, so let's start. Verse 11 and verse 12. "For For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which I preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, he's really pointing back, this is what he did at the very beginning, sort of pointing to God being the author. He is the one in charge. He is the one who is writing this story. Um, he's, He's trying to take any... Power away from oh somebody influenced him or uh, somebody uh, convinced him or he got stuck in a prison cell with somebody and they they were able to convince him that uh, that Jesus was was the way so he points he starts this this testimony section in a like the authority comes from God and who God is. So God is responsible for the things in Paul's story. And it only makes sense if it's from God and about God for God. Okay, verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So when you read through that, you don't necessarily land on the grace of God, but when you take a step back and you think about who he was as this leader of a church that was preaching And teaching, and not only doing that, not not just teaching things that were contrary to Jesus, but opposing, arresting, and condemning or sometimes killing those that are opposing what he is teaching. So, um, this is a guy that can only be saved by grace. (laughs) the free gift of salvation for him seems much more evident in how dramatically opposed he was to Jesus. He didn't just have disregard for Jesus. Anybody who claimed the name of Jesus, he was arresting. He was killing them. I don't know what you've done, but I'm thinking you're probably not in that boat. You may not know anybody who's that dramatically opposed to who Jesus is. So he talks about this in Ephesians also. So, Ephesians 2, one of my favorite passages. because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's a lot of really good meat in there, um, but I think that contrast of you were once opposed to God. You were living the flesh. You were doing things for yourselves. You were sons of disobedience. You were children of wrath. But God gives you a free gift of salvation because of the mercy that He has for you. And Paul really can appreciate that. I think we all can appreciate that. By grace, you are saved. And through that grace, the truth of who Jesus is and the gift that he has provided as salvation for those people who put their trust in him, which is the gospel, It changes people. It transforms them. Makes them a new creation. Not an ugly stump anymore. Now a bowl. So verse 15. But when God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That transition of God made this, had been forming this tree over long periods of time. He had a purpose for it. He had an intention for it. And people couldn't see it. And it looked like it was hopeless. But when he revealed his son, the transformation happens. The spirit opening the eyes, it's cool like in the story when we read it in Acts, how like the scales actually come off of his eyes, like the spirit opening the eyes to the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done is life changing. Recognition of that grace and that mercy that you are shown. Paul talks about this again In 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, And His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach so that you believe. So he starts here with the importance of the gospel. Like... Who Christ is, what he has done. And then I love how he's like, you know, he appeared to all these people. And then for some reason he appeared to me. Like, like those people were followers of him and and probably like makes sense that he appeared to them. But me, that doesn't necessarily make sense. And you know, I'm unworthy. And you know, I like. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Like, like God is the reason for the transformation that happened in my life, and He has made me who I am. So, why do you think it's important to clarify Paul's conversion as a result of God's grace? What do you think? about set the Yeah. Yeah, you can't outrun his grace. Like, you can't be too far gone from his grace. To save you i feel like there's a song about that is there another reason why it would be important i think
1: to- that apart from god's grace i mean we're like sheep so we like to follow you know just follow stuff on youtube facebook whatever Kind of made it more about him and his circumstance, and man, you know, just like in the right place at the right time. And what we tend to do is just try to mimic that or recreate that, you know, or, or fabricate ourselves. Mm. And so, apart from God's grace, that's that's our natural life or Then We try to like recreate that. Mm. But Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's a, a big key of it puts the focus on God and who God is and what He's doing. Um, that it doesn't make sense. I think if you try and logic your way through it, you, you struggle with that. Um, and that's where that's the beauty of grace is there's grace from God because of who God is but we're wired in a way that makes us want to earn stuff and deserve stuff. And that's one of the things that the people in Galatia were struggling with. Like like yeah, okay, Jesus say, like died for our sins, but like shouldn't we have to do something? Like don't we need to earn something? So he's putting the emphasis on God's grace because God is the one that's doing it. Like you don't need to make like stop trying to steal that glory from him. Like him saving people and him transforming people is his story. That's who he is. So the next section um, goes into a little bit of a timeline. And I didn't want to spend a, a lot of time on the timeline. I didn't want to, sp- yeah. So um, there are, there's a uh, correlation with um, the the next section after what we read in Acts uh, what with all the actions of what Paul does after his conversion. Um, and you can fit this part into that. And there's in study Bibles, uh, usually like a map drawn out on, on how they do that. So um, I didn't necessarily want to spend a lot of time on that other than there's a couple things we want to draw out here. So um, let's just read this again, refresh our minds of, of what's in here. So uh, we're in the second part of one six one sixteen and then uh, going through verse 21. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed around him for 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went up to the region of Syria and Cilicia. So really the the emphasis here, the reason why this stuff is in here is to point that man is not responsible for his radical transformation. So he was not around the apostles he didn't consult with them. He was not converted by man. Um, he didn't need human confirmation of what happened. You think about that story where Jesus like appears in front of him and he's like can't see and he doesn't eat for three days and I mean he had some time to think through what in the world was going on like the life that he was living and the need that he had to be transformed and Jesus makes that change he doesn't need to consult with somebody else on hey Jesus came and like said this stuff to me is that right like he doesn't need human affirmation of of what just took place so there's a there's a little bit of discrepancy from the Galatian people as to what happened with him and why he was converted. So he puts a lot of these details in here just so that it sort of clarifies to them, hey, like Jesus changed me and it's a work of God and not by somebody else. And then I want to spend a little bit of time here in this this last section, Um, Verses 22 through 24. I was still unknowingly, or I was still unknown by sight to the churches at Judah, which were in Christ, but only they were keeping. They were which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which He once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. So this picture of these people didn't convert Him. The apostles didn't convert Him. When they heard His story, they were so amazed by the story, it drew them to worship the God who can change that guy. When they, when they hear how this guy who was probably one of their biggest opponents, like they feared for their life, you saw Ananias didn't want to go talk to the guy because he heard stories about who this guy was. This guy was unsavable. And when the truth of who Jesus is changes someone like that. Doesn't that give us all hope? Like, like I'm not killing people, so maybe Jesus can save me. But it also draws you to how powerful this message of the gospel is. How powerful grace is to change somebody like Saul. So he speaks about this again in his letter to 1 Timothy, or yeah, to Timothy in First Timothy, uh, verse 1 Timothy. Chapter one, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful "...putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. With the faith and love with which are found in Christ Jesus, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, To the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's, it's cool in this text how he says, I was the worst of the worst but I was not beyond the grace of God. And he he almost paints that picture of, if God was able to save me, he can certainly save anyone who puts their faith in him. But there's more to it than that. Even in his opposition to jesus in that life where he was in disobedience jesus christ was showing perfect patience because if you're not that bad you don't appreciate grace as much like it doesn't look as good but he recognized his need for that and how amazing it was He was using him as that example. He was was creating the example of this guy being that bad, still worthy, not because of what he did, but because of who God is. So back to our main idea. Paul uses his testimony to illustrate how the grace of God through the gospel of God transforms the people of God for the glory of God. So, up to this point, lots of information. We can see through the text how some of those pieces fit together. But how does that then transform us? Like, how do we use that? And there are lots of different potential application that can flow out of this. But this is where I landed. Does the grace of God through the gospel sound good to you? Maybe grace feels like it doesn't have any power. Maybe you think you're too far gone. Or God showed me grace at one point, but I've continued to fail him. I've continued to let him down. He's disappointed in me. I messed up. Maybe you feel dry or distant from God. Maybe that relationship that you feel that God calls you into, you've sort of abandoned. Not really putting the effort in. Does grace still sound good? Can you outrun the grace that God provides? And then the follow-up to that. What changes when in those moments you live to please the God who is pleased with you? Because He's not disappointed in you. You have not let Him down. You can't surprise Him. But in repentance, when you turn from those ways and you put your trust in Him, He is glorified. And he's waiting. He wants you to put your trust in him. He wants you to lean on him. He wants that relationship with you. You can't let him down. You can't turn your back. You can't be too far gone. You can't outsin the grace of this God. So, what happens? when you live to please the God who is pleased with you? How does that change how you respond to people, your family, your work? You're driving in your car and you're at the gas station. Do you then show that grace to other people? Do you then live in a way that you are showing love to other people and glorifying the king. So we've made it through chapter one. Just wanted to take like five minutes and a little bit of uh, see where people were at. What's been the thing that's sort of jumped out or, or re- thing that you feel like you've been reminded about or uh, been most useful from the first chapter of Galatians?
1: You Something else? reminds me of that a much better parent than we ever can be or have. I mean when I think of his patience and his other grace, he doesn't sit up there rolling mess up and shake his head or say again, seriously. You know, he's just there, hey, I'm ready. Come on back. Amen. I think it's also important to see, like you said earlier, about <clears throat> seeing the uh, results of God's plan for someone whom we would look at at the beginning and say, "No way." Is um, if you, I mean, going back to that First Timothy one twelve, second half of that verse, he said, "God saw me faithful and placed me in service." Mm-hmm. Not God saw me faithful after he placed me in service. God Mm -hmm. saw me faithful and placed me in service. Mm -hmm. So he was faithful, but he was faithful to anything that opposed God. And God knew that because he created him with that fervent tenacity. It's just he had to allow Paul to use that tenacity against him Mm -hmm. for the first half of his life Mm -hmm. in order to reveal how amazing it is when you can use that exact same tenacity and that exact same just drive and motivation and fervent desire when it's flipped at 180 degrees and turned toward christ to literally help change the world Mm -hmm. you know and to push god's love on you know people who would see somebody like that as, like you said, unsavable or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, God has a plan for everybody and for, you know, all the personalities that he's created throughout history. He has a plan for that personality. He has a plan for that individual and, you know, and, and to show the world, what what he can do, you know, pastor always used to say, God can strike some pretty straight licks with some pretty ugly sticks or pretty perfect sticks. Yeah. And, you know, this is just the um, individual that was chosen to, to show how crooked that stick could be. before yeah. you know, that struck the straight that with On that, too, like, Paul certainly has a powerful testimony of, like, on the first, in first chapter.
0: stuff yeah we all have a story we can i sometimes feel like my story is not that impressive especially after reading something like this that's diminishing the grace that he's shown me time after time after time after time after time um so um yeah i think there's so much good news here and it's hard to just grasp all that in 40 minutes but it i think it is something where like when you take a moment and you pause and you reflect on what he's talking about here and how that impacts us it's refreshing like you see with more clear eyes the beauty of who jesus is and you have a love for him and a passion that just changes all your interactions.